Hey, hi, welcome to the Cult Turkey Podcast. This week, I'm sitting down with Robin. Robin is sharing with me her um, major challenge almost throughout her own life uh, or all of her life in uh, eating disorder and uh, bulimia. And it was uh, quite a fascinating conversation I had with her. Um, it was, it was, um, it was great. I love, um, I love talking uh, with her and, you know, like it's pretty rare that I do sit down with people that have eating disorder. And it's, it's something that I'm, I'm super curious about, you know, like, I, and I feel that I learn a lot in, in exchanging, um, you know, like our, our, our life story around eating. Um, there's, there's definitely something that's, that's, um, particular about, you know, like food, um, as, as a, as an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know, like I can actually, and I shared that with Robin, I can actually spend the rest of my life without using alcohol or using drugs while, um, someone that has a food disorder cannot. So, um, it is, it, it, it was a great conversation I had with her. Um, there's a few points that I want to, I want to go through before leaving you with Robin. Um, first of all, holidays are coming. Uh, I know for some of us, it is a tough time. So, um, know that, um, I'm all in spirit with you, everyone. Um, if there's anything, you know, where to find me, you can write me a note, you can DM me. Um, you know, like I'm always there to answer both of your questions or, you know, like you want to be, uh, put in contact with one of my guests. Um, don't hesitate in reaching out. And, uh, the last thing is, um, as I pretty much do every week, you know, like you can go to my podcast called, uh, coldturkey.com. So podcast coldturkey.com. Um, this is my website. You can go to my Instagram page and, um, and share it, share it with your friends, share it with your relatives, share it with, pe with people that you think would uh, benefit from listening to a few episodes, just to, you know, feel that they're not alone in their, either their addiction or their recovery. And, um, I think, you know, like, you know, like it's a great, um, it's a great thing to share, um, share those conversations so that people, uh, again, you know, like don't, don't feel that they're alone in their situation. So uh, without further ado, here's Robin. Enjoy. Hi, Robin. How are you doing? Good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing you? great. I'm doing great. It was, uh, I told you just right before the start of the recording, it was an hectic, um, it was an hectic evening, uh, where I'm, I'm, my wife and I are trying to help someone that, you know, like has, a, a substance abuse problem. And, you know, like my, my sponsor asked me to, um, kind of fill in between, uh, his time traveling. He had like a, long road to reach to the the place and so he asked me to fill in for about an hour so there those are people that i know well uh not too well but you know like i know and really appreciate and you know like i was there so it's always newcomers are fuel you know like it just it just i love seeing someone just discovering what sobriety just a little breach of what it could be like, you know, like it, it's so encouraging. And so, you know, like I, I just love that, you know, like, so it was, uh, 
it was a bit crazy, a bit hectic, but you know, like it's, uh, I think it, it fuels me up, you know, like it's, I don't know how to explain it. You know, like it's crazy. Well, and I, I can relate to that because I am in recovery. Um, I'm going, I'm going to the end of my second year, so I'm not in very long. And, uh, and so I find I'm still amazed at the clarity that I have for my life being in recovery, but also the challenges that I have facing, facing my recovery. So I'm in recovery. I had a 40 year addiction to obsessive compulsive food disorder and bulimia. And so I'm really very clear that I'm never going to purge again because I almost died the last time I did. And so um, that's done. But I still struggle with the obsessive compulsive food disorder part of it. And especially during the pandemic, um, when you're bored or you can't go out or, you know, you're just like seeing the same faces all the time, yeah. your family, right? It's like, oh my God, you know, help. And so one of one of the things I try to do is when I get into that obsessive nature of my disorder for food is say, what am I really hungry for? And what am I looking for? Like, it, I always feel like when I'm looking for food, I'm usually looking for some sort of deeper connection inside of myself. And so I start looking for what could, how can I get that? Should I call somebody? Yeah. Should I call a friend who, I mean, you can't, I, I like I've discovered I can actually Zoom with my friends. I didn't know that before the pandemic. <laughs> Zoom, right? I Zoom, Zoom shares with clients are, all the time, but I didn't know I could Zoom with my best Zoom friend. Zoom stock right? is doing so, fantastic right now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I just start to look for what is it that, what is it that I really need? Um, and usually it's, it's company. Yeah. Um, and even though I, you know, I have company here in my home, um, I just, I miss being able to, I miss my freedom and I miss my normal life. And so, um, but I'm trying to define what is a new normal for me and looking at what it is that I'm really hungry for. It's a, it's a good metaphor for this, for this form of addiction. too, because it is about what are we hungry for. But I think that applies to any form of addiction. What are you really hungry for? And and you just said it, you know, like, I think, you know, like connection is the, um, it's pretty much like our best weapon, you know, like connecting with people, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it's, it's completely different than sharing your life with someone, but connecting with someone Mm -hmm. is, you know, like, uh, you need, you know, like you can make the analogy with, with electric current, you know, like, you know, to connect something to something, you need that you need the same voltage, you need the same wattage you need, you know, like, so that's, that's connection. You know, like you can't connect to someone that doesn't have that same voltage and doesn't have that same wattage. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, like, um, my wife makes phenomenal efforts in understanding my addiction, you know, like my, my, my obsessiveness and my compulsive, uh, compulsiveness, but mm-hmm. you know, like the, there's, there's definitely something that she doesn't get, you know, like, she's like, how can you, you know, like, you know, like, how can you go and, you know, like without almost missing a beat, you could have 
destroy your life. You know, like it's so, so it's hard for someone that doesn't have that in them to understand that, you know, like, so, so you said it best, you know, like you, you, you can share your life with, with multiple people you know, like in the same household, but, uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you necessarily do, um, the connection you need to, um, to, to heal some of this stuff, you know, like, and to, and to mm-hmm. progress and to, and to evolve, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, like the, 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 I've had a hard time myself, you know, like, and, and that's pretty much my next question, but like, I've had a hard time myself, um, finding the same thing I could find in the human or the physical contact of connecting with people that have, you know, like that share the same, um, kind of the sobriety roller coaster ride with me. Um, mm-hmm. how has the pandemic been for you, uh, in terms of the last nine or eight months? Well, the, the, the good thing for me is that I, um, I released my book on recovery. And so I have been on about 30 or 40 podcasts. So I've, I've started to get like, it's been a wonderful way for me to connect with new people yep. Um, and you know, I've met people all over the world that are, that have been struggling, you know, in this, with the same way that I have not necessarily the same form of uh, addictive behavior, but my, my book is called feast and famine healing addiction with grace. And the premise of the book is that there's really only one form of addiction on the planet. There's one true addiction and that is to suffering. And then we choose our vice or substance to um, to help us to feel better from our suffering. And then the key to getting out of the suffering is to surrender it and say, I really want to be better. And then allow grace to come into your life in any form, whether it's a therapy or a 12-step program or anything, whatever it is. And so... I think that we have to recognize that that the pandemic has created so much more opportunity for us to suffer, but it's also created so much more opportunity for us to welcome and grace. Yeah. yeah, it's well said. At the same time, you know, you you we had a choice when we got here into the pandemic. Like, what are you going to do about that? Right. So for me, my husband and I, uh, we were teetering in the in the obese category and we're like well we shouldn't be in that anymore with this cuz a lot of people that have passed away have mm-hmm. have been obese so he and i decided that our next obsession would be losing weight and so over the course of the pandemic he's lost 50 wow. pounds and i've lost 25 wow. and but we did it very um very healthily like we we tracked our calories we tracked you know the combinations of carbs and fats and and protein and we walked every day and you know drank a lot of water and so that's how we spent this time is getting healthier and where we could have just gone the other way right yeah there's as many reasons for us to fall into the suffering that they are to keep getting better you know like you could you you just said it you know like you could actually sit on your ass and say you know what you know like there's there's nothing to do so 
F it, you know, like I'm going to do nothing about it or, well, there's nothing to do. Let's take that. And I've never ran so much as this summer, you know, like I ran with my son in the mm -hmm. stroller and, um, unfortunately the cold weather here and the, and the fact that, that, you know, like my, my house is upside down right now, um, has made it more difficult to train, but I suffer from it, you know, like the past almost two months now I'm missing my gym, you know, like I have a gym here in my garage and. I freaking miss mm -hmm. it because, because of that, you know, like I've, I've, I had like a regimen, I had like a, almost like a training diet. Um, yeah. You know, like, so, so for me, you know, like the, the, you, you, the same reason why I wouldn't move because, you know, like I was just fed up with it or procrastinate over it, um, was pretty much the same reason why I said, you know, like move your ass, just move your ass, you know, like that, you know, like, so my mm -hmm. son was actually, you know, like we're, we're stuck both confined, the three of us and picked up my son, put him in the stroller and say, let's run, you know, like, let's, let's see where it brings us. And, you know, like he got used to it. He was, you know, like, yeah, actually quite enjoyed it. And, um, we had a blast. This How old he's is five. He? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's, you know, like, yeah. So I got a five-year-old, he's on the spectrum. So, um, mm -hmm. he's, you know, like he's starting to, you know, like he's starting to talk a bit. So, um, so this summer was pretty much the hello, you know, like, so you would say hello to everyone and, you know, like you would, so we would have fun mm -hmm. doing it and it, it calms him. And so, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing it. So, but I, I ran a lot, <laughs> but it's, it, it clears yeah. your mind. It, it just changes your mind. And like I said, you know, like for me, it was the first few weeks were pretty damn tough you know like i i found it really really tough and you know like we we yes. have a routine in the evening where you know like we the three of us you know like we have like a huge shower and so we would jump the three of us in there and it was kind of our time for my wife and i to regroup and you know like kind of you know like clear the air on you know like kind of our crazy life and go because we were both trying to work we were considered a search essential worker even though you know like we're not in healthcare or whatever but the, the stuff we do, we, we had, you know, like we were kept on, on the payroll. Um, and we, we, we had our son that couldn't go to daycare. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of crazy, you know, like dealing with our managers and, you know, like finding ways to, you know, like, okay, you know, like, you know, keep the kid busy. I'm going to do some stuff and then, you know, like switch a room and anyway, so it was just crazy. And so like, like that, that routine of, you know, like six to seven, pretty much you know, like six thirty to seven, where, you know, like we, we all jump in the shower and we talk. I remember like five, six weeks in, I looked at my wife, I was like, that's effing crazy. You know, like, and she's like, yes. And I'm more of the introvert type, you know, like I don't mind being alone. My wife is the social yeah. type. So she was missing this way more than I did. But at the same time, I didn't have any alone time, you know, because she, she couldn't go to any of her social gathering that she, she, she usually had, had scheduled. So, and just for the, just the fact of us looking at each other and saying how crazy it was and how, you know, like we, we, you know, like we felt like, you know, pressure would explode just, it just released yeah. everything. And it was like, okay, we're on the yeah. same page. We find it crazy. Both of us just, just hang on tight, you know, like, and, and hope for the best, you know, I like, can. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, my three, um, adult children came home. Ooh from New York city, we're up in Connecticut. And that was so interesting 
right? Because that could have either been a disaster or wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because we're we're empty nesters, yep. right? And and we got a puppy, a puppy at the beginning of the pandemic too. So it was kind of great to have the three adult kids home with the puppy, but she then thought that they were part of the pack. Yep. And so when she sees them now, oh my goodness, she's just so excited because her whole pack is together. Yeah. Um, but I thoroughly loved having them home. It was a lot of cooking for me, uh, a lot of food shopping and a lot of cooking. But I said to them as they were leaving, I said, I just want you to know that this has been a really special time for me. I never thought I would have the, you know, the three of you here again. Yeah. Right. And, 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 um, and, and it, they were there. Well, two are my kids. One is, one is a significant other, but I never thought they'd be living in my home. And, um, I just found that to be an incredible blessing. Especially if um, it went well, to have that time. especially it did exactly. go well. It did go well. It was, it was interesting. It, it really went so much better than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. And, you know, there have been moments, but I think, again, like even with my husband and I, who typically don't bicker, there was a lot of bickering going on. And I know that I said, I, this is a really stressful time. Yeah. Right. And the kids are here. I said, we really need to understand why we are so impatient with each other. And so it was a lot of communication with that. You have to. Yeah. You have to, you know, like that's, you know, like right. that's pretty much like what, what can, what's, what, what does hurt the most is the fact that you don't communicate it. Like I, you know, like, like, like when that, that evening I told my wife, that's effing crazy. Like it, it's just too much, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, you know, like I, you know, like I, I feel like I'm going nuts and she was like, I do, I feel the same. Awesome. Let's move on. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that, you know, of course you see the stress of the frontline workers and, you know, what they're going through. Um, but parents with school age kids, like what, what, like now they're teachers, yeah. right? Now they're daycare providers and they're still working. Yeah. Like I, I have a lot of empathy for that, for, you know, that age group. Absolutely. Um, I mean, mine is a preschooler and, you know, like, um, you, you know, like it's funny, a stand-up comic here in Quebec said, um, before the pandemic, I really thought that I had my kids full time before realizing that actually daycare had them 50% of the time. (laughs) So I don't have them full time. And now that I did, I don't want them full time. Yeah, well, it's hard. It is, and I don't. I don't. I think the kids want to be with their friends. Absolutely, too. and not only that. I mean, the, um, the routine. You know, like just the. You know, like your kid wakes up. You know, like he knows that. You know, like I. You know, like he, he has breakfast with you. You know, like there's that 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 family routine that he enjoys. But after that, it's like okay, you know, like let's go. You know, like there's something else going on. While confined, it was just like. Holy cow. You're like, okay. So I guess, you know, like you did the blocks, you did the tablet. My son is a huge fan of the tablet. Uh, we did the tablet. We did this game or that game, but what else? You know, like, and you look at your watch, it's eight o'clock. He goes for his nap at 12. You're like, holy cow. <laughs> I got to, uh, 
I got to find something for the next four hours. It was just, it, it's just crazy. You know, yeah. like, and they, they, these people, you, you're, you're, it's, it's funny that you talk about the healthcare worker. It's not a lack of empathy. You know, like it's, it's when mm -hmm. I, when I, I have a hard time, um, making that comparison because I know that I don't have that inside me. And I do understand that they're being overworked right now because, you know, like clearly, you know, like, you know, like we're getting reports that they're being overworked at the same time, it's tough to make a comparison or just to kind of reassuring yourself that, okay, but the healthcare worker are, you know, working a lot, you know, like, and, you know, like make, putting their life on the line again, you know, like it's not a lack of empathy, you know, like I'm full, you know, like I'm fully, um, grateful that these people exist as it you know oh, so much as a as yeah. a and, and then i was just thinking what if they were healthcare worker parent teacher daycare provider yeah. like what if they're everything like all all uh mixed into one right this i think the stress i i was listening to a young person talking about that she had a baby at the very beginning of COVID and it's been a year and the child has barely seen another person yeah. except for the doctor for a year. <sighs> like family can't come in because, you know, babies are not, don't have a well-formed uh, immune system, yeah. this and that. And she's like, I wonder what, what, what's happened in this year, right? Like, socialization skills long-term impact, like long that, impact right? of that is going to be you know mm -hmm. like there's going to be doctorate thesis around the social and emotional long-term impact of what what is happening right now i'm, I'm convinced of that and um mm -hmm. right now the big question is and i talk a lot of this with my my, my sponsor is um we're gonna need to find a balance between losing people through health um uh, to mental health crisis compared to the risks we're taking you know like and i'm, I'm taking i'm talking about you know like the the uh, 12 steps program meetings um right now you know like they're they're quite limited so um so the room i you know like i i was at tonight was actually 25 total and they told me that they had to refuse at least 18 people yesterday and so those 18 people for some of them they're literally at risk of relapse you know like if they don't find you know like if they don't have an ecosystem of people or you know like a network of people mm -hmm. that they can rely on and so and this is online no it was it was physical really? and i oh, yeah physical, and wow. i spoke to someone in ohio that um was able to um the public health system has deemed the meetings uh, uh an essential service because okay. i think i think it definitely is you know like we're hearing a lot about relapses we're hearing a lot about um distress you know like people being you know like an invulnerable position right now um mm -hmm. and yeah i mean like um so, you know like zoom are great but they don't necessarily suffice mm -hmm. every you know like everywhere so um yeah i mean just to hear that you know like it it, it shocked me you know like we had to refuse 18 people at the door i'm like holy shit you know like that's that's way too that's way too many people that you have to you know like tell to go back home and 
And plus they made, they came out, yeah. they, they, they made the effort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. That's unfortunate. Robin, I'm going to rewind your life story tape as I do every week. And, you know, like, I want you to bring me kind of at your first memory of what you would identify as, um, you know, like when I talk to people that have, you know, like, uh, that it is uh, a substance abuse and I'm so, you know, like I'm so curious about, you know, like food addiction. It's been a, more than a year, almost two years now that I've been running my podcast. And I, you know, like every single time, there's very few times that I had conversation about people with food, um, you know, like food addiction mm -hmm. or food disorder. And, um, I'm always super curious and I know that, you know, like some of my listeners are going to enjoy that, but, uh, and I mean, appreciate the fact that, um, I could live going through 15 years without alcohol and drugs. You can't go sober without yes. having food. So, um, right. you know, like, so for me, you know, like this is, this is that, 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 that kind of that thin line that you have to navigate through. But usually when I talk to my alcohol, uh, my alcoholics and my drug addicted people, I ask them, you know, like, what's your first memory of, you know, like when they, um, when they, they touched the substance or they were impacted by someone using that, you know, I, I, I felt that they impacted them. So the equivalent of that would be, you know, like it would be bizarre to ask you what, what's your first memory of eating? Uh, I, well, it, it, it's, it's a different kind of memory um, because my first memory that because it's a deprivation type of bulimia is, um, is, is a, is a, an addict, an addiction where you're punishing yourself. Yeah. So where, right. Where you're, where you're overeating, you're the victim and then the victimizer by, um, by purging. And so my first, my first remembrance of, um, what, of, of even thinking about food was when I was seven years old, I was in camp and my mom summer camp and my mom uh, told my counselor that I was getting a little chubby and that I needed to be on a diet. And so all the other kids could eat whatever they served, but the only thing I could have all summer was jello. And I remember getting so angry and running out of the camp doors and slamming them because I was so humiliated. And so it became this idea for me that suffer, suffering from humiliation became the story of my life. And I started to, you know, I started to have these experiences. I counted them one time that I could remember of over 20 times where I was humiliated in public like that. By your mom and, or by family members? No, okay. Just anybody. Okay. Anybody, just this idea of standing in my, you know, being so here's another one in fifth grade. And they may sound so innocent, but they all add up. Right. In fifth grade, I we were playing kickball in the in the courtyard and I kicked a home run and coming around third base. I was wearing a kilt and my skirt fell off and everyone was laughing at me. And so this started to create this energy in me of a suffering from humiliation. And so, um, so the first time that I ever, uh, overate and purged was when I was in high school, when I was actually stoned <laughs> and there was all this food and I just pigged out like everybody munchies. else. Right. But then I went, the went to the, the bathroom 
munchies, <laughs> right? I went to the bathroom and I and I realized if I if I stuck my fingers down my throat, I wouldn't gain weight. And so that became like a trigger for me that, well, maybe I could eat whatever I want. And if I purged, I wouldn't gain weight. But here's the here's the real deal about that. Bulimia is not a weight loss tool because what happens is your body starts going into starvation mode. If you're eating and throwing up, eating and throwing up, your body's saying, well, wait, is there more food coming? Maybe not. Is she going to keep this food? Is he going to keep this food? Maybe not. So we just got to hold on to whatever calories we can. So basically, people with bulimia are actually usually heavy um, because your body shuts down and says, I better hold on to every last ounce of fat because we don't know whether she's going to eat, give us food. Wow. And so um, so really was in high school that I started doing that. And I just kept doing it and doing it. And what I came to understand when I was writing my book is. Because I kept having these humiliation experiences where I would be deeply humiliated, I re- I started to think, so this is on the subconscious level, level not consciously, because I didn't know what I was doing, that if I overate and purged, I was actually humiliating myself. And in fact, after I would purge, I'd look in the mirror and I'd go like this, Alex. I like roll my eyes at myself, like, like, oh God, what's wrong with you? And so that what's wrong with you and that terrible feeling was my way of humiliating myself before anybody else could. And so being like almost ashamed of yourself all the time. Yes, all the time. And what then I realized once I really understood what I was doing And it's just wonderful when you write a book. That's why I'm a writing recovery coach, because I think writing your story, there's so much healing that happens when you write your story, more than I think even traditional talk therapy, because you're going inside to get it and you're and you're pulling it out and you're you're alone with yourself and your, you know, heart centered thoughts. And that's what I teach people to write from their heart so that. It's really the truth. And when I understood that truth about my life, I was really blown away. And but then I also realized that I needed to learn how not to be humiliated so that I could come on shows like yours. Before I knew how to do that, I was too afraid to tell my story and because I was afraid of being humiliated. But here's what I learned. And this was the best when I, you know, one of those moments, those aha moments in life, I, no one can judge me unless I give them the title of judge. <laughs> if I don't do that, you can say whatever you want to yeah. me. It may be hurtful. It may be true. Right? Yeah. It may be not true. But all I can do is say to you, well, wow, thank you for your perspective. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Or, or screw you, right? Like I can say whatever I Absolutely. want, but but unless but unless I make you the judge, you can't have an emotional impact on me. 
And, you know, these are things that I had to learn in order to be able to come out into the world and tell everyone that they're really addicted to suffering. Because I have not ever said that to anyone, Alex, where they haven't been like, what? Really? Oh, my God. Maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe, and, and the only way to heal that suffering is to go inside and do your trauma work. And it's right? the, 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 you know, like the, a lot of people and, you know, like, I think even the literature of the 12 stepping, um, will, will mention that, um, suffering is comfortable, you know, like it is, mm -hmm. it is, you know, like, like an old pair of shoes, you know, like so you tend, you know, like as you get sober, you tend to miss being miserable. You know, like you and do. doing, you know, like the, the self. It's a role. Self, if you play that role yeah, in your family. And, and, and being, you know, like pitied and, you know, like, and people, you know, like mm -hmm. just like a poor you and all that, you know, like it becomes kind of a, yeah. it's attention magnet, you know, like of, of, oh, poor Alex, you know, like your, your life is yeah. so bad. And, and, and we love that. We feed on that, you know, like, so being in well, shit, you know, it like, gives you an out to yeah. have the best life that you can. Yeah right? Because that's what's expected of you. So it's an easy job to, to fill. Um, in, in feast and famine, there are, is a, there's a, what I, it's called a divine healing path. And there's four points about this path to healing, to long-term recovery. Um, first is the idea that pain is inevitable. That's the first concept. And meaning that we're not getting out of here with pain, without pain. And we are mind, body, spirit, and emotion. And so if we have pain in any one of those core parts of our integrated system, it's going to impact the whole system. So we can't try to avoid pain. That's just, it's like avoiding death or taxes, yeah. right? It's not happening, right? So pain is inevitable. That's the first thing. The second is suffering is an option. Most people think that pain and suffering are synonymous and that they go together, right? She has a lot of pain and suffering. They're not the same thing. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. So what, is the, so what does that mean? That means that you don't have to suffer. You can have pain, but you don't have to suffer. So the third one is surrender is required. Now, surrender Surrender is something that needs to be heard by your um, you and all of your spiritual guidance. So surrender is like, geez, I wish I would stop drinking. That's, that's not surrender. That's like wishful thinking. Surrender is, I am never going to have another drink again. I am done, completely done. For me, stopping the purging was happened because I, I could tell, I, I think I knew if I did it again, I was going to pop some gasket in my head or something. And I wouldn't be here talking to you. So I was scared straight, like many people are. But when you truly are in surrender, this is what I've discovered. You begin to receive grace. So the fourth one is grace must be allowed. And that's what you were just talking about. Sometimes we're not going to allow it because we like suffering. Yeah. Right. We like it's a it's a role we've played. We're good at it. If we get better, if we surrender and we start to get better, that means we have to work harder. 
We have to go back and look at our trauma, and maybe we're not quite ready to do that yet. See, I think suffering plays an important role in our life in that it protects us from looking at our pain points until we're ready. It's it's right? funny that you talk, you know, like, uh, is it your third point that said that, you know, like the admission of, uh, you know, like, um, what is the third one the, again? The third one is surrender is exactly. required. So, you know, like it, the first step in the 12 stepping program is actually admitting how powerless you are over ba 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 you know like so you know like if it's alcohol drugs um food or whatever you know like you're powerless it is you know like it is written that it's actually the only step in the 12 steps that you have to execute a hundred percent you know like you can that's the only step that you have to uh execute perfectly All, all yeah. of the other ones, you know, like believing and, you know, giving back and, and whatever, uh, you know, like making yourself inventory and all that, you know, like you, you, it could be imperfect, but the only one that needs, that absolutely has to be imperfect is admitting that you're powerless, that you, you know, like that, mm -hmm. that, which relates to that third, third steps of third yeah. point of yours, you know, yeah. like, which is, yes, that, that surrender is required because you When you admit that you're powerless or when you surrender, you're inviting a high, your higher power in, in the 12 steps. You're inviting, in mine, I call it spirit or the divine, to bring you what you need to heal. And so that's why the fourth one is grace must be allowed because grace comes, grace is available to us 24-7 every day, all day long. We just don't always see it. It's just always there. So no matter who you are, no matter what shape you're in, grace is available to you. It's a, it's part of, a, it's a gift to us. But when you're in surrender, you start to see things like someone listening to this podcast, or you're in Google and you find an article that just gives you the information you need, or a friend says, how about coming with me to this meeting? whatever it is, right? Or if an old friend calls and you start laughing about good times that you've had. And then you're like, geez, I want more of those, right? So grace just comes in every way, shape or form. And everyone is deserving of grace, no matter what is going on in their lives. And grace is available to everyone. And, and you can't half has surrender. You know, like you, you can't, you know, you, you can't half, you can't half surrender, you know, like, because, yeah. you know, like it's, it's all these kind of back in your mind, you know, like, well, if this happens, you know, like, you know, like, and, and you, you can't do it, you know, like it's, it's, it's going to be, well, it, it, you're probably going to have a much harder time welcoming grace to, to refer to what you just said, you know, like, so, yeah. um, I need to, I need to bring you back to, you know, like you, you, you said that, you know, like, I think when we were following up on your life story, I got a few, let, let me just open a little aparté on, on what was the family picture like, you know, like you mentioned your mom telling that to the summer camp monitor at, you know, like at, at, when you were seven, what was the family picture like yeah, globally? Yeah, I would say that both of my parents, um, Uh, expected us to be perfect in the kids in their own way. My dad was a professional man in our town, a dentist, 
And literally, he would say that to the three of us. You are the son or daughter of a professional man, and you need to act a certain way. And we'd be like, what, what does that mean? We're kids. We're teenagers, right? We're druggies. I mean, we're, yeah. we're partying people. Like, you know, you know we're, we all were, we would just laugh at it. But he would get really, really mad. And so in, the, in our mind, we had this idea that we had to be perfect. My mom thought her version of perfect was, how did you look? Like, what did your, what does your hair look like? What are you, what are you thin? Like, and so she was constantly obsessed with that. You know, what, what do you look like? And, and so I felt this pressure. Was she obsessed, was she obsessed with her own self-image? Oh, yes, yes. Yes. And hers, hers. Yes. And, and uh, yes, because she felt that way from her parents as well. And, and actually I would come later on to find out that the person who told my mother that I needed to be on a diet at seven, at seven years old was her mother. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so my mother didn't have the the power to say to her mom, that's ridiculous. She's seven years old. So what? She has a little belly, like she's an athlete, yep. let her play. Right. And, but my mom, because she had heard it her whole life, uh, did that. And it, for me, what was interesting is even though I was still in addiction, obsessively eating and, and purging, I still went to therapy specifically a food disorder therapist to figure out how to talk to my children so that I could potentially break the cycle. So I was looking to break the family cycle of uh, poor body image or not obsession about actually about not that. doing this to your own child, you know, like not. Do, yes. Yeah. And even though I was still doing it to myself, I worked really hard to make sure that my children had a had a good sense of 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 uh, their bodies and how to eat healthy. And you know, um, you know, they have their moments too. But but for the most part, they're they they know they're so well educated yeah. <laughs> on healthy eating, and and so when they want to be eating healthy, they're great at it what was your sibling uh, siblings brothers and sisters mm -hmm. how many were you yeah i have two bro older brothers one struggled with uh, a heroin addiction for a long time and my other brother i i don't know i mean he he likes to drink but i don't i would i don't know if i would say that yeah. he he has a problem but um yeah, but we, we, we grew up. So here's a cute story. So I have a lot of friends that are mediums and different things. Cause I just love those folks and I hang out with them and I have gifts myself. And my father came in one of them and said, you know, I still, I still want you to be perfect. And I started laughing. And I, when I, and, and when I realized that according to the heavenly realm, we are perfect. Yeah. Right. We are born perfect. We, we are perfect all the time in, in God's eyes or, you know, whomever you're thinking about. And so I really understood what my dad meant that, that he, it didn't matter what I look like. It didn't matter, you know, how, how, how successful I was, how professional I was still perfect. 
Yeah. And so I didn't get upset with him. I realized he, that must be a very powerful message. And then when I really meditated on the message, I knew that he was saying that I just needed to focus on being perfect as a divine human being, as a spiritual human being. And all the rest would fall into place. And continue to do my own trauma healing. I've been doing that for years and it's made a tremendous difference. Because you, you just said it. Um, you actually um, started. So coming back to your life story, you, you're in your teens. That starts to initiate into like full-blown bulimia. So overeating and purging, overeating, purging, kind of that death cycle or, you know, like mm -hmm. really bad, bad spiral. Um, how much did you hide it from everyone? You know, like, you know, like did, did anyone notice that? Did anyone, uh, could, you know, I could tell, you know, like I, I, I'm asking because last week I had a conversation with Cassie and, you know, like we talked a lot about self-deprecation, you know, like self, how do you, you know, like she told me and she shared that, you know, like she felt that she was almost like she felt like she was a piece of shit, you know, like that, you know, like she, she mm -hmm. her, her self image was so bad, you know, like that she felt, you know, like, and at the same time, you know, like the way she was describing that to me, I, I was, I was just imagining the scene and I was wondering, you know, like if we would have asked these people, what do you think of Cassie? And she was, well, she's a great gal, you know, like she's, she's, she hangs around and she's with us and she's having fun and, and so on and the yada yada. But at the same time, you got that, that young lady just thinking that she's the worst piece of shit, you know, like that she's not worth it, that, but she smiles and, you know, like she plays it, you said it, you know, like perfect, you know, like she, she has like the perfect image. And I was thinking of, you know, like you, you have that image of the full gut look, you know, like, you know, like all in black and, you know, like just like introvert in the corner and like, like the outcast. And she was not, you know, like she was just like part of the group Listen, I was president of my high school class, you know, like I, here I am in the bathroom, right? It, you, you don't know who's going to have it, but, but to answer your question, interesting. My dad was a dentist. I think I shared that before when I was, you know, still in high school, he, he pulled me aside and he said, Robin, do you know that, uh, girls with bulimia, um, should really brush their teeth every time they throw up because the acid from the, the uh, bile could destroy their tooth enamel. And I was like, okay, dad, like, like I didn't, but he never like confronted me. Like, I don't know if that was a message. He was getting a message from the spiritual realm to give to me from the ancestors, or he heard me. Or he just read something and he, and he was just like, oh, this is interesting. I should tell Robin so she can tell her friends, right? I don't know. I never had a chance to ask him about that. But that was the first time I, one of my parents said anything. And then I believe, Alex, that we choose our parents on the spiritual realm before we get here. Because we want to live a certain life. And our soul wants to accomplish a certain existence. Like I believe that we are a soul being having a human being experience. And so I picked my mom to give a Tony award winning performance as the person who would drive me nuts about eating 
my whole life. And finally, when I started to be looking towards, um, well, even when I, even when I was still not in control, I finally, I said, my, you can't talk to me about food at all. You can't tell me I look thinner. You can't tell me I look fatter. You can't ask me what I'm eating. The conversation about food is off limits with you because it triggers me. And so I had to tell her about my food addiction. I had told my husband years before because I needed someone to know. And uh, and then and then finally, finally, my mom finally got it and she stopped talking to me about it. And even in my recovery, I don't have that conversation with her. Um, How do you find? I don't want to know what she weighs. Like I don't want to discuss weight with my mother, and and even though I'm healthier and and feeling grounded in my recovery, I I don't trust that conversation mm-hmm. with her. Which is which is a great, um, actually, which is a fantastic um, benefit and gift from sobriety from recovery. This is a fantastic gift is to um, see stuff come, you know, like from, from further away, you know, like, so, so for me, it was, um, I could pick a hundred example of that, you know, like, so um, mm-hmm. first time I went in a bar, you know, like, I, you know, like you have to be grounded enough to say, I'm not going to have a drink. I had to be there. One of my old friends wanted me in the bar because he had, he was playing in a band and wanted to show off and whatever. But the first time I went, I think I was a few months in my sobriety and remember just like obsessing about, you know, like, so I, I went to the bar, shook the bartenders and said, my name's Alex. What's yours, Bob? Okay, Bob. I can't drink, you know, like I, the guy must have think that I'm a nutcase. So you know, like, he's like, what the hell? You know, like I can't have alcohol tonight. You know, like, do you get it? You get it? Okay. You're going to be my bartender for the night. Give me a Perrier or sparkling water, whatever, but I can't have a sip of alcohol. I was panicking. Um, yeah. And so 15 years later, and if you visit to bar for whatever reasons, you know, like going to a restaurant and there's, they say they serve alcohol and all, um, there are moments where I can, I can see not, not thirst for alcohol coming, but stuff that could, as you said, trigger me, you know, like, or, or me feeling like more. And it's funny. I think it was the first month, maybe the first six months that I was with my wife. Um, we went to a wedding of one of our good friend and, um, my wife doesn't have any problem with addiction. Um, but it was like a well, um, (laughs) there was a, it was a wedding. So a lot of, a lot of booze, a lot of everything in there and a huge party, you know, and by 11 o'clock, I, I pretty much had enough, you know, like, so, but I lasted waiting for my wife, which was having a blast on the dance floor. I think it was mm-hmm. until like one thirty or something. And so by that time, you know, like my gasket, you know, like wants to explode, you know, like I'm just going crazy, you know, like, because it's too much. And it's hard. It's hard to be at a wedding where everybody's drinking. Yeah. It's, you know, it, uh, my husband and I were noticing that there is so much drinking on TV and, <laughs> and streaming. I mean, 
it, it's like they drink when they're sad. They drink when they're happy. They drink when they drink, they drink, they drink. Yep. And I'm like, is that really necessary to have all of this alcohol being consumed on television when we know that we have such a severe problem yeah. with alcoholism on, you know, in, in this world. Yep. Like I, I just, I, I, I notice every single drink that someone takes on a, on TV. And, and I mean, I'm talking about even like uh, streaming services sure. like Netflix yeah. and different things, right? It's like this constant barrage of alcohol. Yep. And it's funny because by one thirty. My wife's like, okay, my feet are, you know, let's go back. And yeah. she's like, and so on her ride home, she looks at me. She's like, what's going on? I said, well, you know, like that's, that's, that's a lot, you know, like that's, that's, and she, she looked at me and she's like, well, honey, you know, like by midnight, there was fully and plenty enough dancing that I did. You just had to tell me mm-hmm. all you needed to do is to pretty much, you know, give me the look. Let me know that, you know, like it's, it's, it's late enough and I would have left with you and that's it, you know, like, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so keeping it inside, which is, you know, like it was just even more dangerous than, um, letting my wife know or let it a friend know that, you know, like it's time, you know, like for me, you know, like I call it a night and that's it. Um, I have to ask you about, um, your relation with your boyfriend and eventually your, your husband, because, you know, like there's someone that you know like for anyone that shares his life with with someone that has like a food disorder mm-hmm. problem um did he find out or you kind of spilled the bean on it i told him i i i, I remember we were in memphis visiting family memphis tennessee and i don't know why i told him i just was feeling like i needed to share this with him and um maybe i was at a point where i was trying to stop and he's like, he was really shocked because he had no idea. And I'm like, I'm pretty darn sneaky. No, like I, I'm in the bathroom. First of all, you're in the bathroom. No one's like standing at the door listening to you, except if you have a five-year-old, right? For sure. Um, <laughs> they're listening. <laughs> um, or the dog, the puppy, right? Yep. But most people don't pay attention to you when you're in the bathroom. You know, and uh, it is interesting. Something that you said earlier keeps coming into my head about that you haven't had a lot of people with food, dis- food, you know, food addictions, and that's because the world doesn't consider obsessive compulsive food disorder and bulimia or anorexia an, an addiction. Yes, I mean, you know, like that. The, there's like the. It, it, I think the. In English, they call this overeating anonymous, yeah. you know, like, I think it's, isn't it, isn't it, you know, like it's the overeating anonymous for the 12 stepping programs oh, yes. associated, yeah. anonymous, yeah. which is one way to look at it. Um, what is it in French? Oh, it's the same thing. It's overeating. Um, it, it's not mm-hmm. food or, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's weirdly phrased, I would say. Yeah. And also, Alex, don't you think most people when they come off alcohol or or narcotics actually turn to sugar? Yeah. Right. So then they they're really not out of addiction. They're just moving from one one source to another because sugar is highly addictive. Um, And 
you know, that I would say sugar is my biggest issue. I mean, if I never had another chip, who cares? Yeah. Potato chip or, you know, something like that or bread. I, I don't care. But I finally, my body finally became allergic to chocolate. And thank goodness. I think my body was helping me out. <laughs> one of my first that guests. Was, that was my worst. One of my that, first that guests. what I ate way too much of. One of my first guests actually had a fascinating conversation about sugar addiction. Um, he mm-hmm. had a book written about it and, you know, like it made me, it blew me away because, you know, like I, I must admit, you know, like I'm, I'm deeply, but deeply, scarily addicted to sugar. Um, yeah. You know, so, so the question is, and this is interesting because I had such a wonderful conversation this morning with my mentor about this. And, uh, you know, she was saying, when you're still eating the sugar, you're still trying to find something sweet in your life, right? You're looking for the sweetness. And she said, when you're, when you're eating from the soul, soul's perspective, right? From your, from your true self, you're looking for the nutrients, right? And so, you know, the difference, Alex, if you've had a delicious, healthy salad versus if you've had a cupcake, how your vibration feels, right? How you feel. Cupcake is much funner. (laughs) Much funner, but I'm talking about from a vibrational standpoint. I know, I'm kidding. I I know exactly what you're saying. And at the same time, you know, like I, I, it's interesting because, you know, like I've, I've, I've always had the same conversation around um, addiction in general, where there's definitely something that, you know, like I, I was telling that to my, to my, to my friend this evening about there's, there's more often than, than, than not that temptation to recreate that feeling. And I don't know if you're going to relate to that, but you know, if my mom, uh, well, well, you definitely can relate to that, but trying to go to sleep when you're five or six years old, Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like I'm going to, it's a sound, you know, the, you know, like that feeling Mm -hmm. that you get inside as a 45 year old man, I still to this day try to recreate that moment once in a while, mm-hmm. either with money, mm-hmm. with sweets, with, with sex, with, 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 with intimacy, with, with whatever. But, you know, like as I was addicted to booze to, you know, like I can definitely testify that it was way more exciting in terms of that feeling driving to go pick the substance, either a six pack of booze or a beer, or, you know, like drive to get some pot that it was to actually smoke it. So that, that, that kind of that, um, excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's that sense of true satisfaction too. Yeah. Um, so I had two things happen to me last week. So I am a spiritual teacher. I'm a, a channel for the spiritual realm. My books are written in conjunction with uh, beings called the Ascended Masters. And so I get a lot of my excitement from the levels of connection I can make to the spiritual realm. And the other day I was driving, picked my dog up from doggy daycare and coming home. And I had just made an important decision for my life and feeling good about it. And then I was coming around a corner and the hawk 
is my power animal. And as and, and the hawk actually flew out of the woods and it flew so close to my car that its wing touched my windshield. And this is a big bird, wow. right? So I panicked at first and then I'm like, okay, hawk, I, I hear you. What is it that you want me to know, right? And so it took me a while because I was so nervous from the encounter of the bird coming so close because the last thing I would want to do is kill a hawk, <laughs> um, you know, and, um, and finally I heard, um, uh, the hawk's message was stand in your sovereign, meaning stand in your life in the most powerful place you can be from your most authentic healed self. And to me, that's my sovereign. That's the person who I become when I know what's true for me and I live from that place. And and so I I knew that the decisions that I had made that morning were very were made from my sovereign. And I think the hawk was just validating for me. And then the other story I wanted to say is my husband and I on Sunday, we went to meditate by running a uh, water with rapids in it. Yep. Very loud, very loud. And we were both meditating. And then I, I'm also an energy healer. And I was guided to do some energy clearing on him. Uh, and I said to him first, may I touch you? Because I didn't want to interfere with his meditation process. And he says, of course. And I did this healing. And that connection between him and I and the energy and the water. And it was a beautiful day on Sunday. I was like, this is that Christmas morning feeling for me. Yeah. Right. Connecting to nature, connecting to my partner, connecting to the energy of the universe and, and sharing it. So that's where I go is, um, and that's what I find too. When I start obsessing too about food, I start looking at what am I, what, what am I missing? It is, if I go into my connection through my meditation or yoga or prayer, will I get what I need instead of cookies? The rush. Right. And the rush. Oh, my God. I used to say that to my kids, you know, when I knew that they might be experimenting in college. Right. I'd be like, the best high is from spirit. You should try meditating or energy healing. I'm telling you, it's so much better than that. It is the best. It is the best. So hopefully as people come into their recovery, you know, there's so much about connection, about higher power, about your spiritual nature. But if you can take that and really embrace it, yeah. The the in the the love that you feel for yourself and the love that is that is poured on you, that's the grace, right? It is. Yeah. Right. And so we can have that without substance. Can or you, advice. Can you bring me, Robin? You said that you almost died. You know, like and I you know, like I mm -hmm. see that we've just hit the, the one hour yes. mark. Um can you bring me to that two years ago? You know, like what, what happened? What was the what trigger? Happened? You know, like the, the, the podcast is called Tur cold Turkey because I always think that, you know, like you talked about grace, but there's always like a mom, a moment of clarity that makes it that 
even though you know like we probably made the same promise to ourselves at least yes. over and over and over there's something mm -hmm. that happens that day that makes a difference yeah. in well i was i it was for me it was it's two parts to that i was with a client who i was teaching how to be a medium and she's like your grandmother is here and this is the grandmother that told my mother to put me on a diet and my grandmother said that she wanted to apologize to me for telling my mother to put me on the diet. That's when I found out that she was the one that did that. And then she also said that if I didn't bury my bulimia, my family would bury me. Wow. And I'm like, that's a very powerful message, right? So, of course, like anyone else taking their last drink or their last hit off the joint, right? Whatever. I had one more uh, huge eating session because I was going to purge one last time. And that time that I purged was so different than any other. First of all, there was blood coming out of my nose, like streaming down my face. But even more interesting was I could feel in my head what I was doing to my head. It was like I had this massive headache, but I never felt it before. And I could feel all this pain in my body and my organs. Like my body was showing me what was the impact of all of this, uh, of all of the, the purging, what it was doing to my organs, what it was doing to my back. My back was killing me. Like I actually, when I was finished, got on the bathroom floor and just had a lie there. Wow. But that never happened to me before. And I'm like, okay, I, 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 I don't, I don't, not, I see you. I get it. I understand that I am going to kill myself. So I realized that, you know, it's, it, it was almost like a slow form of suicide. And was I going to, was I going to follow it through? And it was at that moment, I just said, I, I'm, I am done. I am never going to do this again. And as we talked, what was I? I, I surrendered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And then the grace came and I, I, cause the first time I wrote feast and famine, I was in addiction and the end of the book was, well, I hope these teachings work for you. They didn't work for me. So have a nice life. And I'm wow. like, I can't put that book out. And so, and after, after I went into surrender and I got, you know, more intensive help, um, to go into recovery, then I could go back and write, rewrite the book from a place of recovery. And what a difference. Oh my goodness. Such a difference. For sure. Between writing it. And, and the interesting Alex, the part, the, the part for surrender is required. The guidance that I received for that part was leave it, leave that, leave it, leave the part where you, the, how you wrote it when you were in addiction and then rewrite it again in surrender. So if you look at that chapter, the first part of that chapter is surrender in addiction. And the second part is surrender in recovery. Wow. And it's incredibly different because the surrender in addiction was like, is somebody going to F and help me? What the hell is going on? What's wrong with me? Like blah, blah, blah. Right. And that, that's not surrender. 
Yeah. That's just complaining, right? Yeah. Anger, you know, disgust with myself. The surrender in in recovery was clearly what surrender was. I am I am done. I am complete. This is what I know needs to happen. And oh, it was like it was like fear, anger, and distraught to peace and love and abundance in surrender in in recovery, writing it from there. It was, and I thought it was great that I was guided to leave both in that chapter. Side by side, you know, like, so that's- Side that's, by side. So wow. you could compare the difference because it is so different, so different. So without and even so, knowing, Claire, uh, Robin, you were doing a self-experiment of yeah. almost like writing the same book twice, once yeah. as- um, almost like as a teacher and the second as a student of your own teaching. Well, and the first time, you know, when I was guided to write this book, I was just like, well, I'll just fake it till I make it. But I never made it yeah. until I had to put the book down and, and start again. But I'm, I'm actually would love to read just one thing that would really explain the four, those four steps that I talked about, if you don't mind. It's just a one sure. little paragraph. Um, uh, imagine sitting on the floor of a dark room, alone and in pain. This scene portrays what suffering feels like. The moment you find the courage to get up and look for the light switch, you are in surrender. When you turn on the light, you are filled with the light of grace. From here, you will find the door that leads you out of the dark room and back into self-love and ultimately into your divinely inspired life. Wow. Yeah. And so that that's what I'm hoping for, you know, to inspire people to really understand that they are suffering, that they have to come into surrender, receive the grace of healing their trauma. And then they can be really grounded in their recovery. Otherwise, I'm not sure how grounded they are if they don't know why they were drinking in the first place or eating in the first place. And, you know, like I, you know, like it's funny that you talked about faking it till you make it. But um, if it's if it's um, if it's something that you have to do, you know, like at least try to fake it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you know, like it's it's almost like a required passage. You know, like you have to, um, you have to feel. Yeah, you pretty much have to fake it and 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 go through the motion and try. You know, like and at least try. You know, um, you know, like and and as as surely a lot of my listeners. Um, It was fantastic talking to you, Robin. You know, Thank you. It was Thank really, you so much. It was really great. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to also just say that um, I have a free 30-minute uh, session with me on my website. I don't really care what we talk about as long <laughs> as it's polite. <laughs> exactly, which which brings me to, to um, yeah, to you know, like I, 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 where can people find you? Where, where, yeah, so... 
my website is a play on my last name, um, Claire. So it's Clarity, C-L-A-R-E, my last name, dash I-T-Y dot com. So Clarity dot com. And then I'm also in Instagram and Facebook, Clarity by Robin. And um, yeah, so that 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 free session is there. I'm also uh, teaching in, in January. I'm teaching a writing course on how to channel your writing. So if people are interested in learning how to really go deep with their writing and connecting to their own spiritual team with that, um, that's going to be a fun, fun and interesting class. So for all the listeners, um, easy, as I mentioned every week, you know, Claire's going to, um, I, I, I keep saying Claire, but that's Robin, okay. <laughs> I, you know what? People have been calling me Claire for 30 something years since I'm married. Um, but yes, Robin Claire. Yeah. yeah. So Robin, uh, is going to provide me with all these links that she just mentioned. And it's, you know, like if you scroll down in your phone or in your browser, you're going to find all of these link in the description of the episode. Um, and yeah, I mean, like it, it was, it was a, it was a blast talking to you, Robin, you know, Thank really. You, and I appreciate you having me on Alex. It's, um, I'm, I'm still humbled and, you know, like my avid and, and you know, like, um, I would say my regular listeners are going to be fed up in me saying that, but you know, like I am humbled by people accepting to be part of that journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it makes me grow. I never imagined that, you know, like I never would have expected that, you know, like that, that receiving of people's life experiences would make me grow as much as it does, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, yeah. so it's, uh, it's, um, and I, I, I do tell all, all of my guests that, you know, like almost on a weekly basis, I do get people writing to me, you know, like I have a hard time finding a therapy that fits me whatever that means. <laughs> I have a hard time going into a rooms, you know, like, or, or, you know, like a 12 step meeting room. Um, but listening weekly to that podcast helps me and I'm yeah, you know, like, and, and all I needed is one and you know, like, and I receive one. And since then I've received, you know, like a few dozen, but all I needed is one and you know, like it keeps me going. And, um, well, and I think it's it's a win, win, win. It's a win for you. It's a win for your guest, and it's a win for the listeners. So absolutely, because, you know, every time I'm on a podcast, I learn something new. I'm learning from the host, but I'm also learning about myself because I'm saying things that maybe from the same perspective or a new perspective. So thanks again, and uh, I, w- I wish you the best. Thank you. Take yeah. care. Thank you. 